0: And welcome to the Sound of Football Advent Calendar. Yes, it's that time of year again. It's Christmas. You can tell by the sound effects. Yes, we've got a bed. Of course we have a bed. And the only time we ever have a bed is when it's Christmas. With me are my Christmas elves. As usual, here they are. Jan Bilton. Merry Christmas. And Terry DeFellin. And a Merry Christmas to you. Oh, and everyone's all very, very Christmased up. We've all got silly hats on, those silly paper ones you get in crackers. Not anything extravagant, you know, we haven't gone down the pound shop or anything like that and bought some fire hazard to put on the top of our head. No, we've just got the ones you get out of a cracker with the little joke and the little toy the dog's going to choke on. We're all having festive fun, aren't we, Jan?
1: Yeah, definitely, yes. Uh, I've got a little bit of uh, port here, a little bit of cheese and uh, gout in the post. It's feeling very Christmassy. (laughs) We're all of an age, aren't we, Terry?
2: Yeah, we certainly are i'm very much looking forward to receiving my gout a couple of christmases from now but yes a a nice glass of whiskey with some crackers
0: well terry this is our christmas tradition we've been doing this now for very very many years and of course one of those traditions is where you have to explain what our special christmas episode is all about i've completely forgot that that's my thing isn't it yeah of
2: course (laughs) it is it is I think i forget every year
0: <laughs> i feel you do
2: the sound of football advent calendar is not your usual advent calendar in that it usually happens towards the end of the christmas advent season rather than on the first of december it is a calendar and it is an advent calendar it's a real thing listeners it? it actually exists and we open each door for the 24 days of the advent period Behind that, there is a name. It can be a person, it can be a thing, football-related. And we talk about what we think they have in store for 2024. So it's really a look ahead more than anything else, a preview of what's to come.
0: Now, this is going to be great because I get a chance immediately after we've done here to actually listen again to what Terry said last year. And if it's the same thing, it's going to be really weird because he just said that off the top of his head, listeners. But then again, he has done this for many years now, (laughs) many, many, many years, even if he doesn't remember it himself. Isn't that right, Jan?
1: He does. And I think it's very similar every year. But then again, it's going to be, isn't it? because it's it's 24 subjects
0: and it's an advent calendar. So, yeah, beautifully explained as usual, Terry.
2: Thank you so
1: much. Yeah,
0: and we're actually going back a bit now this year because in the last few years we've had a lot of guests on. And I know if I say this now that we're not going to have any guests on. People who have been listening to this for quite a few years think yes, 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 he always says that. And then all of a sudden the doorbell goes and then the guests arrive. <laughs> but no, honestly, there are no guests this year. I mean, like, look at the runtime of this. It's not two hours 20 like it was last year. It's actually a lot more tight, isn't it, this year? It's going to be tight, isn't it, Terry?
2: Yeah, we'll keep it tight this year. Absolutely. No messing about. Just bang. Take after take after take. It's going to be a take fest.
0: Jan, yeah, if we're going to keep this tight, we'd better start opening some doors. Now, the other tradition is, of course, that you open the first door. So, come on, Yan. Jan. Open up that first door. Oh, it's the Swiss style or the Swiss model Champions League. Oh, yeah, that comes into play this year, doesn't it? Because we've just had the last of the regular group stages of the Champions League. Next year, it's going to be one massive table. One massive table of all the sides in there. And Terry, it's just going to be like a huge free-for-all, isn't it? How on earth is it going to work now? I mean, it's just going to be confusing now, isn't it?
2: Completely open draw, cats and dogs living together. It's just going to be chaos and anarchy. No, it's not, grand. They're going to do the draw like they normally do the draw. So everyone knows who they're playing. So it's not exactly like the chess Swiss style model, which I won't go into too much. One, because it's boring, and two, because I don't really know. But the chess style is more open. Uh, these are going to be predetermined. Everyone knows who they're playing. So they will do the draw in the usual way, but they won't obviously be dividing them up into groups. They'll just divide them up into the fixtures. I know what the fixtures are. And then the winners and losers, it all goes into a big table. And the top 16 that get through to the final 16, I guess that's how it works. Unless there's kind of hokey wild cards or stuff like that that might happen. Which, no,
0: yeah. it does it, it work that way. But like in the uh, Europa League and the Conference League has been working in the last couple of years, another thing is the Europa Conference League is dropping the word Europa from its title. So it's now going to be called Conference League. I don't know. It just won't seem the same anymore to me anyway. I've just got far too used to calling it that. But I like with those ones where the top teams the top eight teams go through to the last 16 and the next 18 next teams go to a playoff round that's what's going to happen in the champions league now there's going to be 24 of the teams from the 48 team group are going to go into the playoffs for the next round yeah and it's going to be fun though isn't it because it's going to be different isn't it well we're going to get probably a good few episodes out of just explaining it
1: and then probably having to do it again when we've got it wrong and not understood it properly but I think, yeah, there's a lot of journalists going to be having to sharpen their pens just so they can um, explain how this is all going to work, because I think it will complicate things. It's a lot of fixtures on top of an already packed schedule uh, yeah. for players as well. There's a, a lot of narrative to come on this one, which is good, which because it means we don't have to think too much about it, which <laughs> is excellent. It's exactly what we want. Perfect,
2: yes. And it's an extra four teams as well, isn't it? It is. Four extra teams qualify too, so... Including two teams from the top two coefficient winners for this season. Yes. Which currently is Italy and Germany.
0: Yes, it is.
2: Although obviously there's quite a lot of football that's yet to be played. So it could be that England don't get that fifth group, which depending on what happens in the, in the second half of the European season. So
0: Yeah, so that does mean we'll have a lot of coefficient chat in the spring. And we love a coefficient chat we here on The Sound do, of Football, we really do. do. love a bit. Of, well, you endure all my love of, of coefficient chat. <laughs> Let's get it right. <laughs> now, Terry, open up door number two. Okay,
2: here we go. Door number two, open it up. Ooh, it's
0: iRef. Ooh, iRef. IRF. is that a new app or something? <laughs> I was going to no, say, not. is
1: that a gadget?
2: It's not. It's the, it is, uh, In fact, it's the uh, independent regulator for English football. This is the regulator, the much-talked-about regulator for English football, which is now on the statute books at the Parliament. It's mentioned in the King's speech and everything, and is very close to happening. You need an Act of Parliament for it to happen. So it's currently off the football regulator bill. It's not happened yet worth saying it's not happened yet so it requires an act of parliament for it to go through so close
0: Mm, yeah yeah every time i see this come up it seems a little more watered down every time and now i think it's only going to affect the top five divisions of men's football now so there's something about it that makes me feel that by the time this has gone through the process it's not going to be what a lot of people hoped it was going to be
1: well, there's always the potential for
0: that. And, and as well as that, I mean, it's got
1: to it's be argued in, in Parliament whether that actually happens or not. I don't know. But I mean, that, that's this is the normal course of, of events for any law, isn't it? There's got to be compromise on it. That's why Parliament exists. But hopefully it'll bring what it aims to bring, which is safeguarding the future of, of English football clubs, um, be a bit stronger with the owners and directors and protect the heritage of the clubs, which is what it, it should be doing. So it's good that it's going to go into this parliament. Well, it's good that it potentially will go into this parliament hmm. because by the time this goes out, there may not be a parliament anymore. It may have been dissolved and uh, we might be in election mode. Um, so whether this, this gets through uh, in this parliament, I don't know. It, it'd be good if it did. But there's some pretty important stuff to get done as well. So, um, Mm. yeah. Pretty big hoops.
2: Well, I think that the best chance it's got of getting through is if if the Tories can squeeze it out before the next election. Labour support this bill, but it's possible that Premier League lobbyists have been getting individual MPs to try and see whether or not they can hold it up, because the Premier League don't want it. So it might well be that there are shenanigans. But in theory... If both sides of the House of Commons are in favour of it, then obviously it needs its back and forth with the Lords. But I think it's, generally speaking, an electorally popular bill. So I think that there's a good chance that the Tories will try and get it out before they go to the country. It's when, if they, it's what happens if they don't, because if they don't, then obviously Labour will almost certainly win the next election. They will have totally different priorities. And although they have supported the bill, They're certainly not averse to being influenced by powerful uh, people um, in the past. Certainly the last Labour government would like that. So there's no reason to assume that this one won't be any different. And that might see a problem because they will justifiably say we've got we're a new government and we've got a whole stack of bills that we need to get through. And this is just not that big a priority. So fingers crossed for this to go through. I don't think it's quite as done deal yet, but it is close, though. It's very close
0: very close could be on the yellow ticker anytime soon anytime soon i'll open up door number three cool and it's sin bins now this has been put forward by ifab the bods who put together the laws of football their next meeting is in march and i think that's when they're going to rubber stamp this to be introduced as a i think this this isn't actually a going to be part of the game this is going to be something that leagues can opt into so but there's lots of talk that the efl is looking at at this and maybe even the uh, premier league so this is the concept of sin bins whereby players who commit say acts of dissent and also perhaps tactical fouls as well go into the sin bin for 10 minutes yan now we've been watching a lot of non-league and apparently we've been watching a lot of sin bins happening Um, (laughs) though we may not have noticed it. Um, What do you think of this idea actually in the top levels now, though? Good thing or bad thing? Or can you see problems ahead?
1: Broadly, I'm in support of it. I think that um, something needs to be done to protect referees, especially with what we've seen in Turkey recently, Um, I know it's a completely different country. (laughs) I (laughs) I accept that. Um, But the point is that, you know, referees do get intimidated by players and the dissent thing is something that, well, I've mentioned a lot on this programme is something I'm not a fan of. Um, So I think that giving the referee additional powers to be able to just tell someone to go and cool down is a good thing. But the tactical foul thing, I think, is the most interesting part of this because, well, you you see it every week, don't you? That Someone's, you know, breaking through and the defender on midfield, whoever's done the right thing, and halted play with a tactical foul. But of course, you know, all he gets is a yellow card and a telling off, and then that's it. But you've ruined uh, that breakaway, really. I don't think it will stop it, but certainly it punishes them more severely, which I think is a good thing, really. It's gonna help hopefully engender a better relationship between the referee and the players, a bit more respectful, and it might give
0: referees a bit more protection, which I think they do need. Mm. There has been some criticism, Terry, that what will happen is that clubs that go down to 10 men will just shut up shop for 10 minutes and use it as a breather or manage the clock a bit to try to ease their way through this and then push forward once they're back to 11 Aside, Do you think those are, are meaningful worries about Simbins? Or do you think you can only tell how this is going to play out once you actually introduced it?
2: the further up these things go up the professional ladder then yeah, then w- we'll see the professional's response to it it's difficult to predict how that would work but it would make sense that for 10 minutes yeah it's going to be perhaps a degree of a of defense versus attack i suppose it depends it depends whether or not and Postecoglou is 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 coaching the team with 10 men because i mean it could be completely the other way around it's worth pointing out however that the fa reported a 38 percent drop in bookings in reports of dissent against referees in the leagues where this was being trialled so that's a significant decline and suggests that it's worked apparently it's quite popular with players and coaches well, I don't know I mean, we know we know a coach I don't know whether or not they agree but that's certainly what the FA are saying and it might that may be a degree of spin but even still that's a significant drop if that's anywhere close to being accurate so it's worth pursuing
0: further mm, those numbers do check out Jan open up door number four Behind door number four is Howard Webb.
1: Close it. Close it quickly.
0: <laughs> As we're talking about officiating. What sort of year is he going to have in 2024, do you think, Jan? Do you think that wonderful TV programme he does with Michael Owen is going to carry on being a rip-roaring success? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I don't, I've don't. i never watched that programme for reasons that I think are quite obvious. Um, but there you go. But he's going to be more in the... I mean, he is the face of VAR and referee decisions in England. You know, good luck to him. While we've still got VAR, he's going to have an awful job to do. His 2024 is going to be just as busy as his 2023's been, and he's going to have to defend a god awful piece of technology that's ruining our game.
2: But well, I think he more than defends it. I think he embraces it, and I think he's a he's an advocate of it. So I think that makes him fair game. Also, we discussed earlier. We did a few weeks ago. We had a discussion on the MOL and we looked at the number of people who worked for that company and noticed that a significant number of the people on there seemed to be sort of like contemporaries of Coward <laughs> Webb when he was a ref. And of course, and I hesitate to be too critical of this because, but, but his wife is also working there. Maybe I understand is an absolute trailblazer, almost certainly the smartest person in the room in management meetings. But obviously when you employ your wife, I think, you know, there needs to be some degree of transparency. And I do wonder whether or not that PGMOL is up to standard. And, and I think about particularly when it comes to that TV show, which really is not. I mean, there isn't really the opportunities to properly interrogate um, Howard Webb when he's on that show because Michael Owen is not there to do that. It's things like that that make you wonder. There's a whole thing, a discussion about how... Uh, referees, uh, the PGAML, and also to a broader extent, well, IFAB, change and reinterpret the law, and whether or not there's enough consultation going on with players. Um, that I think that there's a bigger piece of work that needs to be had. I don't really have a tremendous amount of confidence in Howard Webb. I, I think he's more celebrity, I think, than mm. than anything else. Um, but anyway, that's just my opinion, and you know, Howard's not here to defend himself, so. You
0: know, Okay, well, let's move things forward and open up another door, please, Terry. Another door, door number five.
2: Oh, it's AFCON. Oh, It's the Africa Cup of Nations. It's the most wonderful time of every other year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, coming nice and early in 2024. You know, in its traditional slot as well. None of this having your Africa Cup of Nations in the summertime. No, no, no. Here we are in midwinter. Yeah, this is the time to play your African tournament, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. And it's being held in the Ivory Coast um, and it should be well supported, I would think. Uh, I believe it's Senegal, our favourites, to defend their title as well. But I think they'll be facing stiff opposition from the usual suspects, particularly Algeria and Morocco, who had such a fantastic World Cup. Um, And the hosts themselves, I think, will challenge And it should be uh, an absolute ding-dong. These games do bring an awful lot of colour, in the traditional African narrative way of bringing color. Um, Lots of lots of energy from the stands and the stadium and colorful fans and stuff. But they're usually actually very, very tense and very dramatic because this is a super, super important competition. Obviously, it is the African nation's tournament. It's massively important to the players and they, they can be quite tense games. The final was unbelievably tense. I don't know if you guys remember, decided in a penalty shootout by Sadio Mane against Egypt. Absolutely amazing spectacle. So I can't wait for that. But I also am looking forward to seeing what the consequences are in European football, particularly the Bundesliga title race. I think Bayern Leverkusen have got five players going to AFCON. (laughs) Five first-teamers as well. So, yeah, interesting.
0: Usually it's the French League that really suffers when it's uh, mid-season because I think for the last one they provided twice as many players as the next league on the list. So, of course, when you've got players like Mo Salah disappearing for potentially six weeks, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. At a crunch time of the season, and you're going to get... Yeah, the Liverpool fans aren't going to be very, very pleased about that. A lot of clubs are going to be affected by that because a lot of clubs do have very important players who will be going off to the Cup of Nations. Um, yeah, that's just the way it is, isn't it? I mean, this event wasn't planned this time of year, but this is when it has to be played now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the clubs and supporters just have to kind of get over themselves. I mean, this <laughs> this is a really important tournament. Yeah, uh, It's important for the people in those countries, for the host uh, nation... Um, and if you're a player, I would imagine it's one of the most important tournaments you'll play in, representing your country in a, into African tournaments. So, you know, just, you know, suck it up and deal with it. If you find that you're going to be affected by it, you know, disproportionately is going to affect your title chances. For example, if you're Liverpool, then, you know, go and buy another player.
0: Yeah, I I haven't checked, but I'm guessing Sunderland aren't losing any players to (laughs) Africa. How dare you? How dare you? Sunderland aren't losing any players to
1: It's
2: Pure coincidence. It's nothing to do with his analysis whatsoever.
0: No, my analysis will be unchanged. I'll keep the spirit going and I'll open up another door. Right, door number six is... Oh, it's Roy Hodgson. Well, I wonder what 2024 is going to bring. Is Roy going to finally be allowed to actually retire this time? Is he going to be able to to just walk away with his head held high from Crystal Palace and go, right, I'm just going to go. If you need me, I'll be in my shed. (laughs) Terry, come on, you're a Palace fan. What does Roy need to do next?
2: Uh, no, I and mean, he's due to leave at, at, in May. I mean, he did say. I mean, he's had a, a, a difficult couple of weeks up until Saturday. That is, um, he had a very difficult game against Liverpool, and he made some public remarks which suggested that perhaps he was becoming disillusioned or something like that. And then, of course, he got into trouble with the Palace fans. So he's he's had a difficult time, but obviously the football gods smiled on him um, and uh, and helped him out with that draw at the Etihad on Saturday. I reckon, I mean, he'll definitely leave Crystal Palace. No question about that. He'll definitely leave, famous last words. Um, But he'll definitely leave Crystal Palace. He has said that he is definitely leaving. But he's not said he's necessarily retiring. I would not be at all surprised to find him back in some kind of role next season. I really wouldn't. Just not with Palace, that's all.
0: Regular listeners, of course, this is the one show that we do a year where we do make predictions. Okay, yes, and that's and that's a prediction right there. Jan, could you open up door number seven, please? Oh, behind
1: door number seven is Russia.
0: Russia. <laughs> oh, what are they doing behind there?
1: I thought they've been banned from everything, including podcast Christmas well, festivities.
0: yeah, well they find a way, don't they? They find a way. They do I, a I way. don't think I put Russia in there. I think somehow it's it's just someone has sneaked in here and squeezed them in. Well, all right then, yeah.
2: They used the caterpillar drive and squeezed in there <laughs> under our noses.
0: Well, okay. Well, they're not going to the Euros, obviously because they're not there there's going to be a draw for the world cup qualifications in 2024 they won't be in that as far as i know there is always the rumbling that they might be joining the asian confederation that seems to be rumbling under um yeah what do you think do you think russia are gonna start making noises to come back into football next year i suppose it depends what happens in the the other
1: sport that they seem to be quite good at murdering ukrainian civilians um, they, I know that their under-17s teams have been allowed back into competition, which is, I suppose, is fine because they're kids. Mm. Let the kids compete. But I think they've got a long way to go. They've clearly, you know, without going into much geopolitical stuff, you know, they've 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 upset a lot of people, you could say, and they're they're now pariahs uh, on the international stage. So banning them from competing in in sporting competitions seems to be uh, something that does send a message. So I think it should stay in place for as long as it can do. But it. You know, if we're starting to weaken on that, I think that sends them the wrong message.
0: Terry, do you want to open up door number eight? Certainly.
2: And
1: it's Girona. I thought you were going to do the song.
2: <laughs> my, 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 <laughs> <woo>. <laughs> my, 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 Gerona.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's made my Christmas. <laughs> well, uh, uh, will they be singing Come May, though? the Girona wagon and just keeps rolling on, doesn't it, Terry? It does, yeah. And
2: we don't know. I know we're allowed to make predictions. I think <laughs> it would be foolish to predict um, what Girona will do. They have the benefit of the fact that they don't have any European football while all of their other competitors do. You initially thought, oh, wow, well, they'll look good for a Europa League place. But the more they keep, keep winning, the more you think to yourself, well, gosh, you know, maybe they could finish in the Champions League. I, think, I still feel that, winning the league is is going to be beyond them but there's no arguing with the quality of the team that they put together and there's also it's also very true that i think that the traditional rivals being real madrid barcelona and atletico madrid all seem to have consistency issues that i think are based upon imbalanced squads themselves but you would think in the second half of the season that one of those three will put a run together and be able to win the title. I don't think it'll be Barca, personally. I think it'll be one of the, the Madrid clubs, personally, to win La Liga this season. But, I mean, for as long as they keep going, that they are there, and they don't really have anything to interrupt them. I mean, unless they do anything like win the Copa del Rey or something like that, which might interrupt them a bit. But it's just really a question of injuries and, and squad depth at this point. It's still a little bit too early to get too carried away with Girona, because it it's not early in the season by any means. But, you know, there's a lot of football yet to be played. But, gosh, they certainly have given us a lot of good value. And it's Christmas. Let's not talk about the ownership situation. Let's just celebrate how a team with a very, very small playing budget has been able to assemble an extremely good squad of players and a really, really good team that play good football and score lots of goals.
0: Yes, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that while I open up door number nine. Hello, look. It's multi-club groups. All right, let's not celebrate it then. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, stop celebrating and let's talk about the new security. Let's talk about the fact that every club now seems to be owned by someone who owns a bit of another club. Terry, even your club, Palace, they're part-owned by the guy who owns Leon, aren't they? Uh, John Texter indeed
2: yeah. owns Lyon, yeah, and, uh, and his strategy is to own more clubs and that they funnel in, believe it or not, to Crystal Palace because... Which is hilarious because Crystal Palace play in the most lucrative league in the world and so therefore they, they get senior. I think if Crystal Palace are at the top of your strategy, then you need another strategy.
1: <laughs> he's also a uh, owner of a, a club in Brazil yeah. and uh, he's I think he's suing the Brazilian FA for saying that the basically the whole league was fixed um, against his club. So mm-hmm. th- th- I read about that last week so forgive me if I haven't got all the facts right but uh, yeah he does sound like quite an outlandish chap Trumpian some might say well he,
0: he's not afraid of a bit of uh, litigation because I think he's suing the previous owner of Leon as well is he really? so he's he's not very happy about some of the clubs he owns but it, it does seem to become more and more common now and it's starting even to creep into women's football as well is this just a trend that we're going to see more and more of I mean, as we see lots of the big investment companies come in I think it probably will be. So, Terry, ultimately, is this a bad thing for football, especially when you think of stuff like Saudi ownership?
2: It's riddled with conflicts of interest, isn't it? Uh, Mm. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that Leipzig and Salzburg are allowed to compete in the Champions League. They are basically owned by the same club. It's just a technicality. Yeah. I mean, I think actually under the rules, Girona wouldn't be allowed to compete in the Champions League if Manchester City qualify because of the City Group ownership structure. I'm sure ways will be found around this, but it is clearly a, a conflict of interest. Uh, uh, the idea also that there are clubs that are subservient to other clubs, I think is just no wrong. you know, wrong. I, you know at a professional level, I can understand that a feeder club levels at lower leagues are youth teams and youth clubs and stuff like that. I can totally understand that. That makes sense. But I think that you're introducing inbuilt deficiencies into smaller leagues if you've got a club in the Belgian league that your Belgian league is football to stay at a certain level. And if you're, you know, an influential football, you know, club group, like the city group or similar, then you're introducing structural inequalities into, into inequalities that are already there by e- economics. And I just think that that's wrong. I mean, it might be realistic, but it's, it's just wrong and it's not, it's not sporting. So I, I, I'm a guinea, frankly.
0: Well, Jan, Let's add some more positivity to this advent calendar. Why don't you open up uh, door number 10 for us?
1: So behind door number 10 is uh, the Women's Super League, new co. NUCO,
0: new NUCO, new right. New, okay. co. new co. okay. Well, this is the company that's just been set up. It's got a new CEO already, Nikki Dusset, and she will be running the basically it's going to be like the premier league so this is like an organization that isn't the fa because that's what it's been up till now it's now going to be its own separate company that is going to be in charge of all the commercial stuff like getting new tv deals league-wide sponsorship and things like that just to really take women's football forward now it's going to be the wsl and the championship so it's 24 teams But at the moment, it's looking like the WSL side are going to have 75% of the voting rights, whereas the championship teams are going to have only 25% of it. So it's a bit imbalanced. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be stuff that's going to be negotiated all the way along there. But um, broadly speaking, Terry, good thing for the game? Yeah, I mean, if you like capitalism,
2: (laughs) then yeah. If you like yay capitalism, then yeah, it's a great thing. I mean, we live in a capitalist society. We don't live in a socialist utopia. Um, I mean, so this is how it's going to be. I mean, this is, this is the next sort of iteration of the WSL, is that it would start, it would form a company, a private company with, a, with a, the intention of making profit. And it's already starting to show the effects of that because uh, the Washington Spirit owner, Washington Spirit is a NWSL uh, club, has just bought the London City Lionesses of the WSL Championship which is the offshoot of the real world line. as they play in the championship. They're a rather average club, it should be said, and they've just bought bought that club. She's just bought that club. Her name's Michelle Kang, who has got big plans, presumably to get them into the WSL. So she can presumably see the dollar signs from over there in Washington, thinking, right, I'm going to get stuck in there. Apparently Elia Luko is got a consortium together to buy a Lewis F, um, yeah. uh, women's team. That's but, the women's team, which is a real shame.
0: Well, no, that's that's actually fallen through now. They've pulled out. Oh, has it? Uh, okay. Yes. All right. All right. But the pattern seems to be yeah. to take the
2: non-affiliated championship clubs yeah. and run with them, which in itself is quite interesting because actually I think I'd quite like to see the non-affiliated mm. WSL clubs do well. It's the usual suspects. I'd rather see, you know, something coming an indie coming through. But of course, you know, it, 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 if if that indie is being funded by American billionaires, then I don't know whether or not that's really sort of like the romance of things. It's a bit, it's a bit Girona, isn't it? Nevertheless, you know, in a very meaningful way, I suppose this is, was always an inevitability of the women's game. and and so I suppose it's I suppose it's a good thing.
0: I, I know what you mean about it'd be lovely to have teams that had their own identity and their own brand. Like if you look up north of the border, Glasgow City have been one of the biggest teams in Scotland for a while. Do not have a men's team, and that's quite a nice thing because it, it, it gives the impression that the sport is big enough and strong enough to actually go forward on its own. But I think we've seen in Germany this year the collapse of, of one of the biggest clubs uh, with the finest history of, in European women's football to be a Potsdam that are basically in free fall now because they're not attached to a men's club. Mm. And so they can't really get funding they can't really survive as they are. So obviously rampant capitalism is now welcomed into the women's game and uh, NUCO will push the women's game forward. Whether it pushes it in the direction that Existing fans want it to go in, who can say? I mean, I think a lot of women's football fans now may suddenly find themselves as legacy fans, but that's perhaps me doom saying a bit. Really got to in- inject some positivity into this advent calendar. Come on, it's Christmas, guys. Uh, uh, Terry, open up door number 11. And it
2: is the redoubtable Emma Hayes, who is going off to the States at the <laughs> yes. end of
0: the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yeah, okay. But, but it's a positive note for her because it, she's obviously decided that, that this is the direction she wants to take her career. And, uh, well, Olympics coming up next year, she'll be taking the USA to that and probably coming back with a gold medal, which we can probably claim as a British gold medal, I, I would hope, wouldn't you think? Definitely.
2: I think it's this nice full circle for Emma Hayes because she started her coaching career um, in the United States as well working for amateur clubs in the US and she's got a lot of friends over there and I think there's a lot of people who know her well and are looking forward to working with her so it's a good fit if it paves the way for her one day to come back to England and manage the England team the Lionesses, then that's all good too
0: Mm. how disappointed would you be if Chelsea hired a male coach to replace her
2: I would be disappointed. I think that there are enough female coaches out there now to manage in the WSL. I think that that would be a shame. I mean, I guess as long as everyone's being honest and sincere and and doing their best to get the best person, I would trust that they're doing the right thing. It's a tricky one, but I think it would be disappointing if they couldn't find a decent female coach to coach that club.
0: Yeah. My outside wager, I think Casey Stone is gonna come back. Um, Do you think so? Yeah. And I think she, she's just okay. yeah. that would be a great fit for me, I think. Right, okay. I'll open up door number twelve. Well, we're still in West London. Look, it's Chelsea. Chelsea. Well, they have had a year, haven't they? Well, they've had a couple of years, haven't they, really? Um actually it's not really when you think back of it, Todd Burley's not been there that long though, is he, Yan? But Chelsea is not really working so far for Poch, is it? But can you see good signs on the horizon? Do you think 2024 is going to be a good year for them?
1: Well, I think it depends on whether Todd Burley can hold his nerve. If he's going to follow suit with, you know, the the previous mad person who owned Chelsea and just start sacking coaches, then, you know, it's it's just going to be the same old chaos just under a different regime. I think in Pochettino, they have got arguably the, one of the finest coaches in the world um, and they'd be crazy to let him go. I think that they are, as a, as a club and as a team, in a period of transition um, and I think they've got the right man there to, to manage that transition on the pitch and they'll need to give them time. If they cut their losses with Poch, I mean, who would want to go there? It would just it'd be a basket case of a club. And I think that he's, that Pochettino is the man to lead him out of it. Given time, he will turn Chelsea into a force again. He's that good.
2: Don't Chelsea have financial sustainability regulation issues coming down the track?
0: Well, maybe, maybe. There are things like their cunning ploy of giving everyone long contracts that loophole has been tightened up now so what that means and also what that means when they want to sign new players because you can't just keep on pushing the can down the road as far as that's concerned so they'll soon want to get rid of some of these players on huge contracts and bring in other players so what that does then to them i don't know maybe we'll find out soon enough but the way these things are going, that could be two or three years down the line anyway, because none of that seems to be going through very quickly anyway.
1: It also depends on whether there's some kind of big reveal on who really owns Chelsea. Mm. Because if it turns out, and we were talking about um, multi-club ownership there, if it turns out that there are certain Middle Eastern states... <laughs> um that uh, that own them that already own i don't know a team in in the northeast of england then you know that could start causing problems there and that could see the wheels fall off completely but of course that's all conjecture
0: well, yeah, of course, and I don't think it will make the wheels fall off completely because all they'll have to do is go to the government again and say, "Oh, oh, yeah, no, it's it's fine, or it's fine, it's really all fine." And then the Premier League will say, "Oh, yes, well, if the government says it's fine, then then it's fine," <laughs> just like they did the last time. Ah, right, come on, more positivity, more positivity. Right, Jan, open up door number thirteen. Unlucky for some. Okay, door number thirteen. Trying to keep it positive, Graham. Yep, yep, yep. Okay.
1: It's the handball law. Oh, for God's oh sake. dear God. <laughs> I'm sorry about that.
0: <laughs> oh. I, we can only play with the cards we've been dealt with, lads. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Well, well yeah, and they're going to fix it in 2024, aren't they? They'll do Are one they? final little, <laughs> little tweak. I'm sure they will. They'll do fun final little tweak, and all of a sudden, it'll all make sense, and everything will be fine again, and it'll all just be grand, won't it? Won't it? Well, well... You would think so. I mean, it's so straightforward. Why does it have to be so complicated? I, I Before
1: this, guessing that this may come up on door 13, um, I had a, had a little look on the FA website, uh, at the rules for handball, and I won't bore you with it all, but it, it, you know, I read through it and I went, well, that all makes sense. That's fine. But then watching the game yesterday, the Liverpool Man United game, Luke Shaw got the ball between his body and his hand, and his arm, sorry. Yeah. And that wasn't given as a penalty. So if it comes off the body and hits the arm that's okay but if it comes off the floor and hits it so yeah just just need some clarity lads just need some clarity just make it easy it used to be really straightforward and it's not straightforward anymore and it's causing some problems sort out lads. yeah sort out
0: yeah terry i mean it used to be not a problem because basically it was just what the referee saw not what you could show on super slow-mo was it so it's never going to be right is it now it's always been a tricky
2: law to enforce because, yeah, there's a subjective decision about deliberate handball um, and context. And really, it's down to the referee to interpret whether or not they think an unfair advantage has been drawn. In, you know, and also, you know, I mean, it all goes back to 2009, doesn't it? It goes back to 2009 and Ireland versus France in the World Cup qualifying playoff and the, and the blatant handball that was missed. And, and, and VAR really, I mean, people were talking about beforehand, but really that's the moment that the momentum for video refereeing to come in. And video, refer- the handball law has been adjusted in order to accommodate VAR, the same as the offside law. So, you know, when you've got like a tiny, tiny number of people using VAR and a law that's being applied for VAR, but being applied across the entire world of football, it's, you know, doesn't make for, I think, for a particularly well thought out law. I don't pretend that it's it's an easy one to resolve, but I don't believe it's completely beyond the wit. I, I would suggest by ending VAR would 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 help. I think because I think ending VAR would just genuinely help everything, and so it would. But I think in particular it would help the handle Law. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, Terry, why don't you use your hand to open up door number fourteen?
2: <laughs> I certainly shall. Thank you very much. Oh, gosh, it's HK, it's Harry Kane.
0: Well, Harry Kane, he's just going to keep on scoring goals for Bayern Munich, isn't he? It's what he does, Graham. How many goals is he going to get this season, do you think, now?
2: Well, where is he? I forget, I genuinely forget where he is now. I think he must be close to 20, he
1: must be close to 20 by now. He's got 20 in the Bundesliga and 20 four in, in the Champions the- League. Twenty-four so goals. Twenty-four goals in twenty games. In twenty games. He's struggling over there. Why is he finding it so difficult, Terry? I don't in well. In it's Germany? a Farmers League, yeah. And that's what it is. It's a Farmers <laughs> League. Of course it is.
2: Yeah. Farmers League with three teams in the Champions League knockout stages. Um uh, I mean, you know, in fairness, there are some pretty average teams. Uh, the, the the issue is is that I think Villers League is a strong league, but that whenever they come any team comes across by Munich, they tend to cave. Um, and Harry Kane just like Harry Kane. He's deadly sharp. He works up beautifully with Leroy Zane and Jamal Musiala. Um, Leroy Zane is also having an absolutely outstanding season this season as well. But ironically, of course, Bayern may not win the Bundesliga because Bayern Leverkusen is in the top. But as mentioned earlier, they're about to lose a significant amount of their squad for about uh, at least two weeks, you know. Yeah. um, So it might be a problem uh, for them. I feel Bayern will go on a run to, like a lot of big championship winning teams do. They'll go on a run through the course of the, of, of the back end of the season and I think we'll take the Bundesliga. But it's a big year for Harry because... He's gone to Bayern Munich, not because he wants to go to Munich. He's gone to Bayern to win trophies. I mean, it's the only reason why he's got that and the large amount of money that they're paying him. But he's going there to win trophies. And so there's a lot of pressure on him, you know, to do precisely that. But there's every chance that he'll win the Bundesliga. I think I think Bayern are among the favourites to win the Champions League as well, especially if they strengthen in January. And, and of course, Harry may end up lifting the Euros.
0: That is not out of the question. He may. Well, indeed. Now, that's a bit of positivity. More of that, guys. Come on, let's keep that going. I'll open up door number 15. Let's see where this positivity is going to take us. (laughs) It's the Saudi Pro League.
1: Brilliant.
2: Brilliant. But if Harry can't win a Bayern, then he can always go there.
0: Uh, well, yeah. I, mean, I, I suppose that dominated the summer, didn't it? Because everyone seemed to want to go to Saudi Arabia for some strange reason. It suddenly became very, very, very appealing to players. So, uh, well, January's going to arrive soon enough. I mean, it's only a few days away now. Are we going to see more players going out to Saudi Arabia? Uh, or are we going to start seeing players coming back? Are we going to start seeing players who went for... Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of pounds suddenly turning up at clubs, I don't know, like uh, Newcastle maybe, um, on loan. Um, I don't know. Maybe we will. Yeah, what do you think? What What do you think the next year is going to hold for the Saudi Pro League?
1: Well, just to zero in on, on the example you've given there, it has been talked about in the press for a long time that Ruben Neves, who Newcastle were after, kind of on and off after. Now, definitely after, uh, even though he plays his football in Saudi Arabia, because, um, of course, uh, Tanali has been a very naughty boy and is now not playing football for the rest of 2024, is he? So uh, they've decided that they'd like Ruben Neves to come and join them on loan from a club that also owns Newcastle. Uh, from, a, from a regime, sorry, that also owns Newcastle. So a sister club, which is a little... <laughs> it's almost like... That deal was done with this in mind at the beginning. I mean, clearly that isn't the case. Obviously, no one, no one's suggesting that for a moment. But um, you. it does look, but it, but it does. It's well, I mean, I, I'd hate to zero in on a on a conspiracy here, but it, it does look like a conspiracy, doesn't it? Um, well,
2: when it's happening, it's not a conspiracy. Is it? <laughs> it's right. Is it? Well, yeah, it is, it's it a conspiracy theory. It's not happening. Is it? okay,
1: no, I got that. Right. No, but no. no, this is just a just a conspiracy. Yes, um, this it's should a it should flat out conspiracy. It yeah. is. But whether the other players can will uh, will will follow them, I don't know. I mean, there's you know, Riyad Mahrez is, is is out there and is. It, you know, it was a fine player when he left the UK. There's no reason why he couldn't be coming back as well um, and just being paid um, fortunes by the Saudi government. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if any of the players are going to go out um, there this year. I, I, I don't know. Um, it seemed it was, it was quite a, a kind of a big wave of players going out there, you know, drawn by the money. Um, and, uh, you know, players like Jordan Henderson went out there. He came under a lot of flack, uh, quite rightly, um, for going out there. If you're a player at the end of your career, like Henderson, then you, or all like Marais, then you kind of go, well, well, maybe I'll do it and get a payday, and I'll just, you know, forget about my morals. But when you're Ruben Neves and you're 26, you see that just looks a real odd move to me when you're at the kind of the peak of your career. He's he's a useful player as well, so quite why he went there. So uh, hopefully he'll be a um, an outlier, but whether we're going to see that continue, I don't know because it hasn't played well in the press for some of these players, I think.
2: There's a 21-year-old youngster from Celta Viga whose name I have sadly forgotten, who is a Spanish under-21 international and a real prospect who's gone to Saudi Arabia. Really? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, so I think that the plan is, I don't think the plan is just necessarily to turn it into a veterans league. Um, I think that they're serious. And I think the fact that they now got the World Cup for 2034 means that they'll continue to be serious. Saudi Arabia invests in all manner of sports, not just for sports washing, because obviously also they're looking to divest from fossil fuels because they know mm-hmm that that's a thing. Um, so, you know, it's part of a much, much bigger play going on, and I, I don't think that there's going to be any let up. I, I, I don't imagine it will be quite the bonanza it's been in the last few windows. But I think that they've got things to worry about. I think, like, like the brand, I don't know whether or not it's a really strong brand for them. And the fact that, like, you still get, I mean, there's some big clubs there. It's a, it's a proper football country, Saudi Arabia, for all of its ills. It is a proper football country. They've been playing and watching football out there for a long time. But They do have some small teams that maybe perhaps, you know, are, are struggling. I, I would suggest that probably they might have a, a rethink But this is not for 2024, to be fair. I think this is for the future. Um, For 2024, to answer the question, I think we'll still see some big signings or certainly a lot of noise. But I think you might be right. I think there will also be players coming back who maybe they've just not made it work over there and they just want to come back because it's the Middle East. Arabia is a very different place.
0: A bit like China a few years ago. Yeah, and do you want to open up door number 16 Behind door number
1: 16 is Eddie Howe. Oh, it's it's oh. an old
0: thread, isn't it? Just, just it's is like up, a thread that it? runs through it all. Is he still going to be Newcastle manager? Start of next season?
1: Well, they're out of the Champions League now. Um, so if he doesn't uh, get them back in to the Champions League, if they don't qualify this season, I think that's going to uh, cause some problems for him. I mean, there's no doubt, taking my partisan hat off, which I've been wearing for the last 10 years... It's a very is that what it is. That's what it <laughs> it's was. Hat. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> um, I think he's done a great job there, he, and, and, and you know, no one can argue that he that he hasn't done a great job there to get them from where they were to being a top four side to being in the Champions League. Done a brilliant job. I hope that he doesn't do such a good job in the third round of the FA Cup next month. I hope Oof. he does a terrible job at that point. He's got a lot to do um, in 2024. Uh, like I said, he's got he's to take Newcastle to the next level because I think that their ambitions are, well, it's clear that their ambitions are such. And we could talk about the kind of staggered way that they're trying to do it. They're not just trying to go, you know, a big bang like um, like City did. But I think that if, if they're not seeing real progress, then it could be the end of his time there, which I hope it isn't genuinely because he's a nice guy and he seems like a real fit for the club um, and he's done really well. But the Saudis want what the Saudis want.
0: Terry, do you want to open up door number 17?
1: Yes! 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 Is yes! yes! that a knee slide, Terry?
2: Yes!
1: <laughs> it's over celebration.
2: Yellow card. Yellow card for you, Terry, I'm afraid. <laughs> One match ban.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want the celebration police coming round onto this podcast because they do have extensive powers now, don't they, Terry? And they've been given even more wide-ranging
2: powers, it would appear. It's outrageous. Ridiculous. Yes, uh, we're talking about Arteta, aren't we, really? Because he (laughs) seems to be the focal point of what is now being called over celebration. More broadly, for various reasons, a lot of people in this country have got quite short fuses... <laughs> and get angry very, very quickly. And I think that celebration can seem provocative. This has been the case for decades in football. But it's possible that we're kind of just people who are a little bit more fractious than historically we're we used to, or a little bit more pearl clutchy. I don't know. Like Oli Watkins' celebration against Brentford, right? A lot of word a lot of people up. But that's because he said, "Oh look, hang on, I was being abused." And you think, well, actually, that's all right. Arteta's situation is not quite the same thing, is it? No one's abusing that guy. He's brilliant. But sometimes there's a performative element about celebration that I don't think is entirely sincere. Whether or not it's worth... You know issuing you know wide- ranging powers to celebration police I think that in itself is a bit of a sledgehammer to cracker walnut to be perfectly honest with you so I am calling for the repealing of the unnecessary powers act and you know and the disbanding <laughs> of the celebration police because you know they're just not fit for purpose
0: yeah. who watches the watchers Graham hope does indeed so yeah when when Michael bill's doing cartwheels around the center circle in the FA Cup third round you don't want anyone to rain on his braid then
1: no, not at all. When he's ruining his Italian suit, knee sliding down the uh, touchline like uh, Di Canio did. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, you, you, there should be a little bit of respect for for the. If we're talking about coaches purely here, there should be a bit of respect for for them. But knee sliding into their technical area, I think, is probably taking it <laughs> a little far. Um, but just you know, celebrating a win or celebrating a goal, you know, it's there's there's nothing wrong with it as long as you as long as you're being respectful. Hmm. I, Arteta loves it.
0: Of course, he does. Yeah,
2: he he loves it, and he knows what he's doing. I know he he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that got Arteta is a the Premier League manager that was made in a lab. He's absolutely <laughs> perfect. You know, he knows a bit about football. He knows the players' names. He speaks very good English, but with a foreign accent. He, in and he gives great content. He gives great content. Um. So you know, uh, he knows exactly what he's doing here. And so far, it's working really well for him. So, mm. well, Is it
1: any worse than the opposite, though? Do you remember when Jose was here, he'd go and shake the manager's hand with five minutes to go and disappear down the tunnel? <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? So, I mean, which I think is massively disrespectful. I'd probably want to slap him if he did that to me. Um, so just jumping around a bit, I don't think it's too much of a problem, is it? No,
0: not, not at really. all. Not at all. Well, let's see if I can find some more great content behind door number 18. <laughs> 115 charges. Wait, what does that mean? That's in speech marks. Well, we all know what that means, don't we? This is obviously Manchester City and all of those charges that they've got against them. Those outstanding charges that are against them. Because they are still outstanding, aren't they, Jan? And are they ever going to be, be found guilty of these? And um, what if they are, What's what the hell's going to happen to them?
1: I think that they're very expensive lawyers are just dragging this out as long as they can, aren't they, To until the authorities get bored with it. I don't think they'll get much of a sanction, ultimately. I mean, the the reality is that if they are guilty of even half of those charges, bearing in mind Everton were guilty of one and got 10-point deduction. Um, but if they're guilty of even half of those charges, then you know the, they'll have their book thrown at them and potentially have titles taken off them and things like that. But I don't think that's going to happen in 2024. I think City are
2: playing a dangerous game, because I think that what they're doing is, is they're contributing to a toxic atmosphere in stadiums and on, a, on digital platforms as well, because they're clearly defending themselves. And Now, if they honestly think that they're innocent of these charges, then fair enough, they have to defend themselves. But if they know they're guilty and they're prevaricating, and they've contributed to a toxic atmosphere in stadiums, which is leading to abuse and unpleasantness. And it's also, and as far as the, as the Premier League are concerned, more importantly for them, they're toxifying their own brand. And I think that if City are guilty, then it's possible the Premier League may throw the book at them for fucking them around, frankly. Mm. So I think that City are playing a bit of a dangerous game. If they honestly believe that they have done nothing wrong, then they are absolutely right to defend themselves. But if they are just prevaricating then I think that's poor. Do we think, though, that they are now too big to fail? I don't think they'll get their titles taken away from them, but they're still Manchester City. If this was Manchester United or Liverpool, and this is the thrust of the argument, isn't it? Yeah. If this was one of the traditional big clubs, this would be a different conversation. But the point is, it's City. It's like the, the club that everyone laughed at 20 years ago because they had happy fans and they were always losing games and it was very, very funny but now that they're like this different thing altogether a lot of people feel that if the city group pulled out of city it wouldn't take long for everything to just grow back and they will be back down in the back down in the in, in the championship I, I don't know whether that's true as i said i think they're walking a fine line you know with this manchester city um, and and I, and I think they just need to be they need to be careful. i think the best thing they could do is strike a deal take a points deduction and keep their trophies
0: uh, Jan, do you want to open up door number 19? Well, on a similar theme, it's Everton. Hmm, Everton. Well, yeah, hit with a 10-point deduction, as we've just mentioned as well. But the more you look at it now, the more you sort of think, well, well, more, or more I think. Did they get hit with that just so the Premier League have got something in the bank so that when they do punish City they're going to come in really hard and i think if if that's the case then at least everton have been able to take this hit and look like they're going to survive because they are aren't they jan yeah they're doing very well i mean if if you add those 10
1: points back on they'd be ahead of chelsea yeah so you know they're they're doing very well and i think to be honest with you the deduction is probably you know helped their form yeah I think when I did the, the, the write-up for one of their the games, that I thought that, you know, if I was Sean Dyche, I'd just be gone. well, look, everyone's against us now. Absolutely everyone. People think we should be relegated, and, you know, their form since then has been really, really good. You know, which is, is credit to the players and Sean Dyche, who's, who's an incredibly gifted coach, I think. And Everton will, will ride this out. Absolutely, definitely. They're not going down this season. They're still in the League Cup as well, aren't they, Everton?
2: <laughs> and they've got Palace in the FA Cup possibly outsiders for a trophy the form that they're in the way that they're playing Mm. the longer term everton badly need ownership new ownership yeah as as we discussed but in 2024 it could be a really interesting year for them
0: and new stadium as well
1: and a new stadium yeah beautiful new stadium so this actually could end up being a blessing in disguise for them i think
0: terry do you want to open up door number 20.
1: door number 20
2: It's Euro 2024.
0: Oh, Yay. fantastic. Yay. Yeah, that's been a nice summer tournament. Nice summer tournament, yeah. one host. It's going to be brilliant, isn't it? A month full of football. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, how do we think England are going to get on?
2: Uh, I think England um, would be very, very disappointed in themselves if they don't make it to the semi-finals, at least. Yeah. I think that England are proper good I know we say this all the time, but I think it really is true this time. I mean, I think there's question much about England's defence. I think particularly the centre-back partnership is, I don't think everybody's to everyone's liking, but they seem to work okay for England. And I think that they are definitely among the front runners. I don't think they will win Euro 2024, but I think they could.
0: Hmm. Uh, and, uh, well, I suppose they've got the might of the of the hosts uh, to go up against as well, because they must be championing a bit for this tournament to start. They must be going in there brooming with confidence. Uh, hardly.
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, they're not looking forward to. They're 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 not looking forward. Well, I'm sure they are looking forward to it, but obviously, yeah. I mean, they've got a lot of similar. It's a bit like 2006. They were pretty dreadful then, and they had a great tournament in 2006 when they hosted it in 2006. Then. If you remember, they were pretty awful. Um, So hopefully they'll get a a host nation bounce.
0: Well, I'll be going. As I mentioned on the podcast the other week, I'll be going to see England play in Cologne. That would be great. And uh, I've also got one of the uh, the knockout games as well a week later, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And who knows, I may dip in and see if I can uh, grab some other games as well in the meantime. But I'm really looking forward to the tournament. I think I think it's going to be going to be really good. And yeah, I'm, I'm like like you, Terry. I think England are going to go deep. Jan, are you feeling confident about this tournament?
1: Uh, yeah, from an England point of view, I think they will do well. I mean, they got to the final of the last Euros, semi-final of the World Cup. Um, got a great young squad, great manager. So why shouldn't they go really far? And I think as good a chance as any
0: to win it. Yeah. See, see, that's the positivity we need on this podcast. See, it's getting more positive. I think we're getting into the mood of things now. We're getting the swing. Okay, I'm going to open up door number twenty-one, full of positivity, positivity, positivity. Man United. Okay, great. Okay. Well, it's positive for me. I mean, like, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? I mean, like, the, the comedy just keeps on coming with Man United, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And
1: and everyone was waiting yesterday with bated breath, waiting for another 7-0. Oh, yeah. And Manchester United did the most Manchester United thing possible and actually raised their game and, and actually you know, snuffed out Liverpool and did really, really well. I thought they played an excellent game and and, and deserved their points. But, yeah, I mean, their, their, their post-Ferguson thing just continues to roll on. And, yeah, it is amusing to watch considering the dizzy heights they were once at. But, you know, they've got problems with their ownership and obviously they're getting an injection of money from Ineos as well coming in. And Ten Hag is blowing hot and cold. Some of the players are blowing hot and cold. They just need some stability there. So 2024 is going to be an interesting time to see if they can find that off the pitch and on the
0: pitch. Mm. Terry, do you think Radcliffe coming in is actually going to make things more stable or do you think it has the potential of making things even more unstable?
2: Yeah, I
0: mean, he's, I don't know whether his track record at Nice is
2: that great, because he's, because he's, again, this is more multi-club ownership models, isn't it? Because he's yeah. the guy at Nice, isn't he? As yeah. well as, because we last week we talked about his, you know, the bags of piss and stuff like that, um, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, just want to track that in. That's door
1: 24, Derry, <laughs> Derry, don't talk about the bags of piss yet. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: I mean, I think that May United end are doing the right thing by bringing in someone, bringing in new people to come in there. And the club clearly needs an enema. Um, and, you know, it might well be that this is what they will get. But it's impossible to say. It really is. There's nothing preordained about these things. In theory, they should go in, look, take a look around see what works, see what doesn't work, and make the changes. And if they've got the ability to do that and the licence to do that and everyone's on board, then they may well be successful. But, you know, with it's sport, it could do all the right things and still lose because that's sport, isn't it? Certainly football.
0: Well, it's, it's not meant to be that. Have you not heard pundits after football? That's not how it's meant to work. It's meant to You're meant to be the better team and you're meant to go out and win everything, aren't you?
2: Well yes, no, I mean I understand how the economics of, of of it all work. I mean that's why we have these convoluted Swiss style Champions League formats. is so that the rich clubs get, still get to play, even if they end up having a bad day. They try and mitigate the glory that is football. And an increasing number of online fans see it like that too. They'll look at Niklas Zula's you know last ditch clearance from Kylian Mbappe and go, oh that's just shit defending. When in fact it was a moment of total and utter glory and one of the great things about football and why it's a wonderful game.
0: Football should be chaos. We need more chaos, not less. More chaos, more chaos. Well, Jan, Jan. More bags of piss as well. (laughs) Introduce some (laughs) chaos and open up door 22. Behind door 22 is Ange Postacoglu. Mate, King Chaos himself. Oh, there yeah, This it's lovely that, and he's gone very deep. First time appearance in the advent calendar, and look how deep he is into it. Breath of fresh air for the Premier League, isn't he? He's going great. Three Manager of the Month awards, then not so great November, but he's doing what he needs to do at, at Tottenham, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. This had the, the
1: the chance to be a really bad season for Tottenham, losing Harry Kane. But um come in with this really positive style. And even when they are, I mean, you mentioned that they struggled in, in November there, the, even when they had the problems with, uh, with injuries and things like that, he was being um, challenged as to the playing style. You know, you're still going out there and going for it. And he went, but that's who we are. Which I just fell in love with him at that point because he's just like we're going to go out to try and win football games and that's just the way it is and we play in our you know attacking style and it's brilliant you know it, he's um, he's really shaken things up and and I think he's won a lot of fans over not just obviously inside of, of Tottenham but you know football fans in general. He's great breath of fresh air I think is the right summary. Grim.
0: So sacks by the end of April then? Yeah, Terry. <laughs> yeah, completely gone. Yeah, not a chance. <laughs>
2: I think he's having a wonderful first season. I think inevitably, yeah, his second season will be a difficult one for him. So he's the second half of 2024 is going to be difficult for him. I echo what Jan has said. I mean, he's been a breath of fresh air. I mean, he's been following the English game, I think, since he was a boy. He's 58 years old, and now this is his. He's like a. a thriller novelist who gets a contract to write James Bond books he's like it's like really a fanboy at getting the chance to get stuck in to this thing that he's loved he's probably been watching these games throughout his coaching career going, so you know what I would do if I got into Premier League I would do this you know what I'd do with a club like Tottenham I'd do what he's doing now basically and it just feels like that I had really hoped that Ange would come to Crystal Palace one day but obviously, you know, he did such a good job at Celtic that he was able to bypass the mid-table and go straight for the sort of upper mid-table. And Tottenham have a perception of themselves, which a lot of people like to, you know, laugh at because it's, you know, they can be a bit up for themselves, Tottenham fans, about how they see themselves playing football. But, it, you know, it's a perception that Ange taps into really, really well. You know, the, the Chelsea defeat, the 4-1, is actually classic Spurs. It's like, who cares? Just like, we're down to nine men, but let's just like keep at it anyway. And that's why they were applauded off the pitch. And this is this is why he's doing so well. And of course, like the other North London guy, he gives fantastic content, tremendously sincere and authentic in interviews and in press conferences. And so the, the media absolutely adore him as well. So uh, yeah, he's been a fantastic addition to the Premier League. And Spurs have been a lot of fun to watch this season so far.
0: Yep, yep. Potential coach of the season, I'd say. But Terry, mm. open up door number 23 and see if I'm wrong.
2: Well, okay. I don't think you can do much better than, than Ange Postacoglu. I mean, like, who on earth could be... Ah, hang on now. It's Unai
1: Emery.
0: Oh, oh wow. Him. The guy who used to be at Arsenal. Yeah? What about him?
1: Yeah, yeah. what did he do at Arsenal? What's, what's he up to now? He's only third in the
0: league, isn't he? Uh, at at With the Aston moment, Villa. at the moment, next weekend might be different because Arsenal and Liverpool obviously play each other. So if that ends up as a draw, then they could be top. They could be top for Christmas. Christmas number ones. Yeah. So Unai Emery. I mean, like, like, what we've all, we've known for years. He is the real deal. He is a good manager. Wrong time to be manager of Arsenal, obviously now. I mean, he's done great things. He wasn't doing that bad at Real when he left to go to Aston Villa, was he, Terry?
2: No, I mean I think that they had that fantastic season when they won the Europa League, and they dropped off a little bit, but I think that's possibly to be expected. So I think that the timing was quite good for him to go to Villa. He did the English football a massive service by going to Aston Villa because he demonstrated what an absolute fraud Stephen Gerrard is as a coach, <laughs> and which is good, which genuinely that's a service because we can get we can get preoccupied with our football legends, you know, we we do. Uh, and and uh, Frank Lampard <laughs> was in work for longer than he should have been for the same reason. You know, it's so uh, it is good. Sorry, I'm being unkind to Steven Gerrard, but he. I mean, he's all right. He's got lots of money. He can cope with the with the criticism. Villa is a perfect club for Emery because it's just, if you like, tier two club. I want to say, not yep. one of the big English clubs beneath that massive tradition. Lots of expectations, but at the same time, they've had a bit of a rough time of it recently. So they're all full of positivity and he's come in there and he knows exactly what, these, what, what to get out of these players. He's brought in Paul Torres, which is a fantastic move, and he's done an absolutely brilliant job, no question about it. Big, big half a season up ahead to see whether or not they can get into the Champions League. And who knows? Who knows, guys? If City's malaise continues and if you know Liverpool and Arsenal stop winning in the last minute, who knows? Maybe more. It will be an amazing story, and it feels believable at this point.
0: Hmm. Well, that's a nice bit of optimism for the new year, I think. and I think that's brought this advent calendar into a position, I think, whereby we can be confident that 2024 is going to be a good year for football. A lot better than 2023 was. That was awful. But, yeah, I mean, are we ready for 2024, do you think? Are you willing to say goodbye to 2023 and say, that was rubbish year, let's get this one, and it's going to be great? Well, I hope so.
1: I mean, England could be European champions. Sunderland could be in the Premier League. You know, all these things could be happening.
2: So Arsenal you know, could win the league.
1: Arsenal could do well in the league,
0: yes.
2: Palace could finish
0: 12th. That'd be amazing, eh? Huh? <laughs> I don't I, I, I didn't even think about those dizzy heights. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys... We always attack the the big double door as a group, so should we just grab hold of these doors and open them up and see what or who is behind them? Oh my, it's Joe Bellingham's brother. It's Jude (laughs) Bellingham. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah he needs to be behind that door he does he needs to be behind the bigger because he's a big man <laughs> he's
0: huge he's huge uh, is everything relying on him terry this summer for england or all of england's hopes relying on him
2: all of england's hopes rely on jude bellingham yeah jude bellingham is going to be he is the difference maker for england so i think jude bellingham knows exactly where he's headed And that's why he made Real Madrid his big destination. He wants to be an absolute superstar, a legend of the game. And that's why he's gone to Real Madrid. He has the opportunity to win four trophies this season. Yeah. He can win the Liga, he can win the Copa del Rey, he can win the European Cup, and he can win the Euros. And he's not even 21. and, And he's not even 21. And this is just the beginning for it. that boy. Has got big plans for himself. <laughs> I, can, I can assure you, uh, he wants to be our next. You know, uh, he wants to be up right up there with the greats, and he's capable of it as well. What we do see sometimes when we see players of that kind of caliber playing for England is that they don't. That sometimes they don't necessarily gel. It doesn't work for them. But that doesn't appear to be the case with Ju, Does seem to be a, a proper England player, and is set in quite nicely. He's one of the players to watch out for in Euro 2024, uh, as long as he stays fit.
0: Yes, yeah, that's the biggest concern, and of course, uh, any injury concern, will be will be what will dominate the narrative come May. But yeah, you're right. I of course, you know, know, knowing Real's pedigree in the Champions League, you wouldn't put it against him lifting that trophy in his first season there. Yeah, and I, I guess you watch a lot more of his of his younger brother, but uh, Jude is inescapable, isn't he? Oh, yeah,
1: he's, I mean, yeah, just to um, park his younger brother for a moment, he's brilliant and (laughs) intelligent and articulate, and he's 17. Uh, (laughs) It's crazy. I I watched an interview with you the other day, and it was just like watching a seasoned pro that had been at it forever. Uh, And he's, what, 18 months older than my son? Not even that. But anyway, on to his brother, Jude Bellingham. I genuinely don't think I've been as excited about a young English player as I am about Jude Bellingham. I think that to be doing what he's doing at 20 now with the biggest club on earth and doing it against some of the finest players in the world as well, you know, the sky is the limit for him. He's far more advanced in terms of his ability and and, and just his potential than, you know, the great players I saw come through like Rooney Rooney. Oh, and he went off the ball in the end and Beckham, you know, you saw these players come through and think this is going to be great. But this guy just feels different. It's I mean, you talk about, you know, someone being made in a lab. I mean, he's it's like he's superhuman. You see him going around the pitch and just like there's no one like him. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can deliver in 2024. Um, But an amazing talent really is yeah and an ambition to match as well graham is the thing
2: about yeah. him too i mean you i mean i think he wants to be up there with messi ronaldo yeah. palais Charlton. i think i mean from an england point of view he's our he's potentially our next chart on our next matthews in terms of profile and the most exciting player that, to play for England since gaza
0: well certainly that's just what i was going to say I'm, i've not felt this about an england player well probably since rooney i'd say when he sure. exploded yeah. on there but definitely Gaza. I think that's probably the only times in there. Even Owen and Owen just exploded onto the international scene. Mm. But it is definitely that big, and yeah, he plays for England. It's amazing. But I think as well, I mean, like in that middle, that middle spine now, though not not the defence. <laughs> that's, that's really letting yeah. it down. Um, but but I think if you look at, at, at in the middle of the park, Declan Rice is is really blossoming at Arsenal. People are really waking up to him and thinking, "Oh yeah, that's why they paid 100 million pound for him." And I think to have Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham in the centre of that park, behind Harry Kane in the form that he's in, and all those other great guys—Phil Foden, <laughs> Bekai Saka, all those other guys up there—who are just brilliant—and and a number of players who you know who can't even get onto the coach to get out there—we're really good attacking-wise really would be nice if we could have a few not measured centre-halves <laughs> that we could put, add to the list yeah I
2: points. mean he's got, Stones and Maguire are old chums I mean like that's the chemistry between those two players that I think Southgate responds to and that's the call that he's made I can respect that even though there are certainly better centre-halves but we just have to live with it Graham it's just how it's going to be unless someone novels them before the tournament <laughs>
0: In some ways, it's like having that little bit of chaos, though, isn't it? At the back there. It's like watching like a Brazil side from the 80s or something like that. Just having that little thing <laughs> of something. Like, it looks brilliant and unbelievable, but something crazy is going to happen. <laughs> Keep watching. Keep watching. <laughs> and you will not be able to take your eyes off that England team, I'm sure of it. Well, that is it. That's all 24 doors are open. All the chocolate's been eaten. The mince pies have gone. Jan's port went ages ago. But, guys, what a motley crew that was.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Reflecting the year of chaos that it's been. But we've found a way through to a 2024. I think we're all looking forward to seeing what happens next in this never-ending soap opera.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm, I'm really pleased with the way that we've decided 2024 is going to turn out.
0: <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it now. Well, all we've got to do is act surprised when it actually really does happen like that. <laughs>
2: And that goes to you too, listeners. Try and act surprised.
0: Also, listeners, act surprised, but also you've really got to have a great Christmas now because you're not going to hear us for another couple of weeks because we're going to take Christmas off. The box set takes Christmas off as well and we will be back with the box set for the FA Cup third round in which the aforementioned Sunderland Newcastle will take centre stage. Yeah, looking forward to that one, aren't you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got a whole of Christmas to worry about it. (laughs) But, yeah, I suppose all it really is left for us to do now is to wish you all a very happy Christmas. Thanks for listening all throughout the year. If you have, you've just turned up for this one. Well, okay, fine. Merry Christmas to you as well. But uh, (laughs) from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton, and from Terry Follin, Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas! Contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter at Sound of Football, or on Facebook.com slash Sound of Football.
1: Wonderful. That was good. Well yes. done, guys. Wonderful. Good. And it did end on a very positive note. Yes, it, it did. did. Nice work putting Jude at the end. It's like McCartney concert isn't it? <laughs> we were we were close to not being able to finish it weren't we? We were stuck on the no 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 no